Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. Uh, Today, we're joined by Alistair Sheik, director of Sheik & Company. Sheik & Company is an accountancy company based in Tonbridge. Alistair, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the show today. Um, First and foremost, what is a leader? It's a very interesting question itself. Um, One naturally assumes and associates a leader with somebody who is in charge of a group of individuals pursuing towards a common goal. Um, But that also isn't isn't its only definition. Um, I think all of us in our own way have the opportunity to take over leadership or become leaders. And in our everyday lives, we undertake roles in which we need to make decisions or we need to come up with answers for various things, um, which sometimes will affect um, more than one person, but will also affect decisions and uh, choices that we make in life. So I think the leadership, whilst affecting more than one person and and, and the common understanding of it as being someone who controls a a group of people, marshals a force, be it in a military environment or a business environment, I think it also applies very much in the personal, um, that we do become leaders of ourselves. So leaders uh, can be from any walk of life um, and have any sort of background. What is your particular leadership strategy? I think, I mean, I come from an era where I've always had leaders within my life, both from within my family. Um, I had strong leadership from, from, from both my parents and also from figures in both my education and in my working life. Um, So I think the strategy that I take is one that I've taken from them, is that I believe there is a good and practical and friendly approach towards any kind of leadership. I think methodical, clear thinking. Um, You need someone who can make a decision, um, not without having looked at all the facts in front of them, but at the same time, uh, is able to utilize the time around them to come to having looked at all the all the um, all that is put in front of them um, to come up with a suitable a suitable solution to what is facing you. And I think that uh, my particular strategy, as I've learned from other people, is to listen to people around you, take advice from various areas, but ultimately be able to come out from that advice with a decision. You don't want to be second guessing yourself, providing you've taken all the advice you can. Now, you mentioned uh, that you've had a lot of uh, figures who were influences, uh, whether it was in uh, education or your family. Um, Can you highlight one in particular that's had the greatest effect on the way that you lead today? Uh, Yes, certainly. Um, If I take it outside of the the standard family and the the education environment, whilst those are very important figures, I think one of the first... um, individuals that I really responded to. I was only in my early 20s and I found myself um, on a, a management board, um, to which I still sit on to a certain degree, of um, a, a non-renumerated, non-for-profit um, organization. Um, and I was very much under the wing of the then chairman, uh, who, whilst not discounting my opinions and not uh, treating me as the young person around the table, actually seemed to value that opinion of mine. 
and wanted to talk and wanted to hear what I had to say. And in turn, that allowed me to warm to him in that I then was receptive to what he had to say, which had great value. And I think that was the crucial part of it, was that because I felt included in what I was doing as part of this group by the people at the top who were leading this group, and because I felt valued by them, I was able to realize that the great input they could have for me. And in doing so, listen to them, take on board what they were saying, uh, learn crucially from them, both from the good decisions and maybe the, the ones that required a bit more thought through them. And so I think, yes, that, that particular individual who was chairing that board at the time, who I'm still very good friends with, um, was absolutely crucial in that because he made me feel involved, which in turn made me want to learn more. So it's important to make your team members not only uh, employees, but stakeholders. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to decide, I mean, do you want to sit in a room that's just full of people that are going to uh, say yes all the time? Because uh, whilst that may fuel your own personal ego, that won't always have benefits towards um, your end goals. Now, I think surround yourself with, with, with a wide variety of people, but listen to every point that's made. You ultimately will, will decide the course or whether it's by a vote system or whether you are, are going to make that sole decision. But I mean, surely we're all in a process where we want to learn that leadership is about listening to people, but at the same time, after you've listened to all of that, making that solid decision on behalf of everybody going forward towards towards the goal. But absolutely, taking on advice, it make make sure that um, make sure that you involve people. I, I I've always loved to, to listen and take advice from people um, that were willing to give it. And I'd like to think that that's, um, that's helped me a great amount today. And now that you're in a leadership position, do you find that you've taken people under your wing? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. But it doesn't mean that I stop learning uh, uh, from them. No, I mean, of yes, course. There are, there, are, there are individuals, of course, who, who, who come in and, 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 and ask questions just like I did. And I'm still asking questions. And every once in a while, one of those particular individuals in whichever walk of life it might be um, will ask me something or inquire about something that makes me think about something. And maybe that means that I either need to go to someone who is more senior than me in another, whatever walk that might be, another leader, and ask them. And that ensures that we're always, always learning and always seeking advice from other people. And I, and I really subscribe to the idea that I don't think we ever stop learning. And sometimes someone who's trying to learn from me will require me to go and learn from someone else. So what advice would you give to a young secondary school student looking to pursue a career in accountancy? I think there is a perception in accountancy um, or any kind of office-based world or in the finance that, um, you know, there are, that you're, you're going to sit in a room surrounded by stacks of paper and you're going to go through these things and process these things and it's dreary and it's drab and it's for introverts and it's, and it's for extremely quiet individuals for want of a better word. It's, the the Bob Cratchit type of, uh, of uh, image. Exactly, exactly. Yes, the, the, exactly right, yes, the Bob Cratchit type surrounded by paperwork on a cold winter's day. Actually, what you're doing on a daily basis is interacting with clients. You're going to have people that are on the phone to you asking your advice and asking questions, be it in an accountancy role or a financing role or anything to do with how they're operating their life. Um, you are, in effect, the leader. Yes, they are the client. Yes, it's their money. Yes, their turnover. But in that particular relationship, that's where the leadership comes into it because you are answering questions on behalf of someone to achieve the right result for them. And so I think lose that sort of perception 
that it is, as you say, the Bob Cratchit person sitting surrounded by papers in a corner room. It's mm. not. It is a hugely outgoing, exciting opportunity to interlearn um, interpersonal skills and human skills. And if you do enjoy talking to people and having conversations and, and learning at the same time, it is that the advice that, that, that I would give is don't don't give in to a perception that it's 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 not it's it's going to be someone um, who won't interact with people because you because you will and I think the the leadership aspect gets so seriously overlooked because when you've got someone on the phone who rings out of the blue and says this is going on I've read about this I think it affects me I don't know whether it does and I genuinely have no idea do you and I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to 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 do what I have to do and then bonus pay you for it um, that is that moment when 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 you realize and so yes so, so so read up and study on things and everything that's going on because someone's going to ring up and, 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 and ask you it's not about putting their figures into a computer and processing their information they're going to turn around to you and say what do you think and that's a crucial moment now, unfortunately, uh, the crucial moment for us is coming very quickly. Our time together is drawing quickly to a close. Uh, but before I let you go, uh, what does the next 12 months have in store for Sheik and Company? Well, we've just got to the end of uh, January, which uh, may be a quiet month for some, but it certainly isn't uh, um, in that, obviously, with the, the tax deadline having passed on the 31st. So that was an extremely busy month for us. So as I look mm. through February and towards into, in, into the rest of the year, we've got some exciting new clients that we're, that we're taking on. Obviously, we've got the, the, the standard VAT deadlines to get through, and there is the standard accountancy script that one follows with processing and filing and deadlines that we meet. But at the same time, the exciting opportunities uh, that we've got with new clients. And one of the beauties with Shake & Co is that, you know, we are a firm of chartered accountants, but at the same time, we give, through our experiences and through our team, a wealth of advice on businesses. And there's nothing more exciting than someone coming in with a startup um, or a business that's working, which they're looking to improve or in any way, shape or form, and they ask for input and help and advice. And so that, that's it. As I, as I look into the next 12 months, it's, it's the adventures that lie on top of that generic accountancy practice, which is rewarding and excellent, and we wouldn't do it otherwise. But as I look into the rest of the year, it's, it's how we can just do that, that bit more for those clients. And yes, I come back to it. They have their own businesses. They have their own systems. But in effect, if we can offer that role of leadership in helping them achieve what they see as their dream for their business, then that's a rewarding experience for us. Well, Alistair, it's been a pleasure uh, discussing leadership with you today, and I do hope that you come back on the program in the near future. Alistair, thank you. Thank you so much. I'd be delighted. That was Alistair Shake, director of Shake and Company. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurd. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary, David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure your delight that a certain someone is leaving a post, what are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching, or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good 
positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher Home Secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, 
were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that, the contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. I completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions. And anyone in a leadership role needs to, A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm. but to listen because you are 
conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarizing thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talk to the fans after the game. Well, everyone knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after week. No, I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose And then five you lose 5-0 yeah. at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously and if you could answer that question and there may have something may have happened who knows something during the morning before the game started something may have gone sour you get the answer to that question and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again well i'm a chelsea fan so i'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute um <laughs> but i would like to pick up on another point you just made actually david about choosing a strong team people that compliment you a lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened mm. and I imagine I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it if they're just toadies by the way and there is a tendency a new mm. prime minister large majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in I, I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as i speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it i mean incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If, but part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. 
And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for, a, for a, a, an easy morning television program, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do Without it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't and there? And try and answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either what, um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Not quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end... You've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, 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 it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us, it turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why... Being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> so, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, the very, uh, in a couple of minutes we have left, um, I will 
be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January. And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach. Those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that... What they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my f family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant and I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. <laughs> this has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.